Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with his word, and more in love with people. Would you pray with me this morning, church, while everybody's getting settled in? Father in heaven, we're thankful for this opportunity to gather here this morning. We're thankful for the opportunity to be in your word. God, we're thankful that we can do it um, without the fear of persecution, God. God, I pray that you would bless this time. Father, I have nothing to say that can be beneficial to anybody here. We need you and we need your word. So I pray that you would speak through me this morning. Sit me down and just use me as your mouthpiece. Pray that you would be glorified from everything that's said and done over the next few moments. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was nearly 25 hours ago. I, um, I got a call from Krista stating um, that Pastor Greg was on his way to the ER. It seemed that Greg McEnroe had sustained a tennis injury. He, little hitch in his giddy up. Said, listen, he's in a lot of pain. Um, you need to be ready to preach. I just got home from a week of the hottest high school camp I've ever been a part of. My brain has been cooking on the side of the countryside of Burnville, Pennsylvania for the last week. I have zero intelligent thoughts. So listen, if this is hard to, to keep up with, hard to track with, um, please forgive me. I do want to start this morning a little bit different than typical. Um, I have a few questions I would like to ask. And honestly, my questions are going to seem at first as if they have nothing to do with the, um, one another at all. And for those watching online, I promise I'll try to reiterate their answers um, through the microphone. Because I understand you can't hear the answers. You're going to feel a little left out in this moment. Also, our live stream doesn't um, typically show the faces of the crowd. So there's no need to be shy here in this moment. Only us here together will be able to ridicule you for just how dumb your answer might be. So there's no, no need to, to be bashful. Um, now, I will say my first question is a bit odd. Um, I promise I won't judge you. In fact, by the time you hear my response, you're going to feel a lot better about your own. Okay, so here we go. Please, I hope I don't regret this. Has anybody ever been caught shoplifting? Now listen, before you decide to lie, I don't, I don't need it. Listen, shoplifting losses vary with store type, but they can account for nearly one-third of the total inventory shrinkage. There's a, an estimated that shoplifting occurs 330 to 440 million times per year with losses between 10 and $13 billion. So listen, with a crowd this size and numbers like that, Surely there's somebody else here that decided to help themselves to a pack of gum when they were young. Don't be lying. Has anybody ever got caught shoplifting? Now, now listen. Okay, praise God. We have a few. We have a few. Can we just, can we just, I'm, we, listen, nobody can see your face. 
I'm not going to call your name. I'm just, would you please, what was it that you shoplifted? Earrings. Ear, okay, earrings. Nice. To, totally worth it. All right, go. <laughs> so, I got to say, that's better than a pack of gum. Okay, go. What, what else? Comic books, okay? Interested to know how you manage that. A matchbook? Oh, the cars, okay? Candy? Candy. That's what I figured, okay? You took it to the model car chop shop and stole the hood. Okay. <laughs> I didn't expect that. I've not heard that story. Okay, that was pretty good. So um, when I was 19, I was arrested by the DEA, Virginia State Police Joint Task Force for distribution of Schedule One, Schedule II narcotic. And this set in motion several um, extended stay vacations <laughs> at, a few, at a few of Virginia's finest resorts. Um, while on one such vacation, I worked as a, a trustee. And so as a trustee, they would often let me in the kitchen to fill up um, water jugs for the other vacationers. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I begin to notice that, listen, they got, they got food in this kitchen that we don't have access to. Now I'm talking like Pop-Tarts of all kinds, Rice Krispie treats, um, different, different juices. Uh, hamburgers, cheeseburgers, some bacon. Um, dude, even like uh, Oreos, watermelon, right? So I begin to notice they have access to all these foods. Now, I'm not a huge Pop-Tart or Rice Krispie guy, but six or seven months of resort food. And it, it really it had me stressing. It had me stressing. It, it's taking its toll. These, these Pop-Tarts are starting to look like fillets by now. Right, and so like Johnny Cash, man, I devised a plan that would be the, the envy of most any man. I was gonna sneak them out of the kitchen in my pants. Now hold on, we didn't have pockets. I don't know if you're familiar with the resort clothes, um, but they had stripes, and uh, so I would have to tuck my pants into my socks so they wouldn't just fall out of the bottom. And listen, down the hatch, they would have to go. And it wasn't before long that I had more than I could have ever enjoyed for myself. So I began to just hook up other vacationers, right? As they would come in, I'd come walking in, and there's lots of cellophane on the items I was borrowing, so you have to walk real, because we were by, you know, there's guards and stuff around. This is a secure resort. And uh, so you have to walk gingerly because you want the cellophane rattling. And with a few tugs of the pant legs, man, my, my legs would just begin raining treats like manna from heaven. And I would just kick them under the bars to the other vacationers. It was something like a, something like a ghetto Robin Hood. <laughs> okay. Now let me ask you another question. Just by a show of hands, does anybody remember Joshua in the Battle of Jericho? Okay, perfect. Can someone give us a quick recap of what happened? Yeah? Okay. 
perfect, the song, okay. So he did, he did fight the battle. There was a rather odd battle plan. Does anybody remember that battle plan? Just anybody. Andrew Taylor must be on vacation. <laughs> Nobody remembers the plan? Okay, so partially correct. They needed to march around um, one, one time per day for six days. And on the seventh, they would march around seven times. They would um, blow the trumpet, give a shout, and then bam, the walls were going to fall down. Right? So does anyone remember? There were two rules that God gave Israel concerning Jericho after the walls come crumbling down. Does anybody remember the two rules that God gave to Israel concerning Jericho? No. <laughs> no. How about no? That, okay, what? Okay, take nothing. It's, it's totally right. It all goes to the Lord. Every bit of treasure, every bit of loot was to go into the Lord's treasury. Take nothing for yourself. And the second one, or the first, depending on which, which way you view it, was that they were not to touch or harm Rahab. If you remember, they needed to keep their promise to Rahab. Nobody's to lay a hand on her. That's why Joshua 6, says this. But Joshua said unto the two men who had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house and bring um, out thence the woman and all that she hath as ye swear unto her. Right? Remember, she helped the two spies. And because of her fear of the Lord and she had helped the children of Israel, she was going to need to hang a scarlet rope in her window. And when they saw that scarlet rope, they would know that it was her and they were not to lay a hand on her. She and her family would then be saved. The second rule, like we said, was all the loot was to go to the treasury of the Lord or else a curse would be unleashed. That's why Joshua 6 um, verse 18, it starts this way. And ye, in any wise, keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed. When ye take of the accursed thing and make um, the camp of Israel cursed and trouble it. It says, but all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord, right? All the silver, all the gold, the iron, the brass, all the treasure of the city was the Lord's, and it was to be placed in his treasury. They were not to keep anything for themselves, and if they did, they would unleash like almost a Pirates of the Caribbean-type curse um, on the nation of Israel. So the two rules, Rahab was not to be harmed, and God had dibs um, on the loot. So if you remember the story of the battle, um, Despite the battle plan making absolutely zero sense at all, they obeyed, they did exactly what the Lord said, and the walls then come crumbling down. Um, Rahab safely evacuated, uh, the treasure was deposited, every single thing went according to plan except one man, Achan, disobeyed. Right? Except one. And that's why we pick up in Joshua 7, verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Listen, at this point, nobody knew except for God and his family. 
There's a possibility he could have gotten away with it, except for when he took these things, he unleashed this curse. So pick up in verse 2. It says, And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which um, is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel. And he spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai, and they returned to Joshua, and they said unto him, Let not all the people go up. Let not about two or 3,000 men go up and smite Ai. And make not all the people labor thither, for they are but few. Um, so they went up thither, and all the, um, of the people of Ai, about 3,000 men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote them, about 30 and 6 men, for they chased them from before the gate, even um, to Shabirium, and they smote them until the going down. Wherefore, the hearts of the people melted and became as water. As a result of this curse, from Achan disobeying the Lord and taking what was not his, what was the Lord's, right? As a result of this curse, we learn that 36 men um, lose their lives, right? And they died to an army much, much smaller than theirs. And listen, this is kind of a big problem. Not only have we had the loss of life, but the whole like conquering the promised land thing has come to a complete screeching um, halt. Later in chapter seven, we see that Achan is brought before Joshua to confess what he's done. And he ultimately admits to what happened. And if you pick up in verse 20, it says this, and Achan answered Joshua, and he said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus, and thus I have done. He says, When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonianish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold and 50 shekels, uh, at 50 shekels of weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. So imagine the scene with me um, for a second. We'll try to get a bit dramatic, right? Dust and smoke are filling the air as the cleanup crews like going through the rubble that once was the city of Jericho. Achan discovers a chamber, and inside of this chamber is a chest, perhaps, with a blanket over top of it. And as he discovers it, he, he calls out, um, guys, hey, guys, you, you should get in here. Only to discover there's, there's nobody around, right? They'd already checked the house off the list, right? He's alone in this portion of the city. He bludgeons the rock, beads of sweat dripping down um, off his forehead. As his heart begins to race as he lifts the lid. A huge wedge of gold shines in the torchlight. Um, next, he catches a glimpse of a bag that's filled with silver sitting right next to a beautiful tunic, something like an Armani suit, right, of comparison. He knows I, I'm not supposed to touch these items. They, they go into the tabernacle, they belong to God, but there's something inside of them that makes them second guess. I mean, what does God possibly want with this wedge of gold or, or this robe anyways? What could he possibly need? He owns everything anyways. Butterflies begin to stir up, making like tornadoes in his stomach. He looks to his right and, and he looks to his left and he takes the treasure. Now pause with me just for a second. Time out. I would like to pose a couple of questions here at this point in our story. How did he manage to get the treasure out? Jake, gold can be pretty heavy. A bag of silver can be pretty heavy. Did, did he, did, like, you know, did he have to make multiple trips? Did he 
Did he pull like the old resort trustee and have to like jam him down his pants? Was he stuffing it up his robe and letting the belt hold it in? So he had like this big goofy Santa belly. So I'm, I'm picturing this guy, he's coming out, he's walking all sketchy, maybe like holding the treasure here, but trying to act like it's a stomach. He's like, whew, oh guys, I'm not, I'm not feeling too good. I gotta, I gotta go to the bathroom, you know? And then his friends are asking him like, hey, they can do good. You look like you, you put on a little bit of weight. You're sweating. He's like, yeah, yeah, I mean, that manna, right? You know, it's from heaven, but them carbs will kill you, bro. And uh, so, so somehow he managed to smuggle out these goods undetected. But now what? He can't just sell them on a Facebook marketplace. Can't fire up Craigslist and post a listing, right? You can't... can't Wear the, the robe to dinner. There's, there's no malls around. You can't just show up talking about, look at this nice robe I just copped from Forever 21 or wherever it is you like to shop. Um, you can't just pull up. Right? There's no good explanation of how he came by this stuff. And my whole point is this. He wasn't even going to be able to enjoy what he took inside of the moments when his desires got the best of him. Right, if you're familiar with the story, you know that because of his sin, um, he and his entire family was stoned to death. And they weren't playing. After they stoned him to death, they burnt their bodies, and then they took what was left and buried them. Paul said in Romans 15, verse 4, he says, For whatsoever things are written aforetime were written for our learning. So what is it that we can learn from this story of Achan this morning? And the first thing is this, and this is really my only point. Everything else feeds off of this. It's a sub point. God will tolerate no compromise with sin in the lives of his people. Do you understand? God will tolerate no compromise with sin in the lives of his people. Campbell Morgan said this. He said, thank God that he will not make peace with the sin in my heart. I bless his name for the thunder of his authority and for the profound conviction that he is fierce and furious in his anger against sin whenever it manifests itself. Listen, we ought to be as watchful after the victory as we were before the battle. Never underestimate the amount of damage one person can do outside of the will of God. Abraham's disobedience nearly cost him his wife in Genesis 12. We see Jonah's refusal to obey God. That nearly shank a ship in Jonah 1. David's disobedience in taking an unauthorized census led to the death of 70,000 people in 2 Samuel. The church, us, we, today, must diligently pursue holiness. Paul wrote this at the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 17 says this. It says, Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And then the next chapter starts this way. Having therefore these promises... Right? That you're going to be sons and daughters, having these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. He told the church in Thessalonica this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7. He says, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Hebrews 12, verse 14, it says, follow peace with all men in holiness. And he goes on to say, without such... No man shall see the Lord. 
Back in our text in Joshua, listen, God made it clear that it was Israel who had sinned against him, not just Achan alone. Go back and look at Joshua verse 1. It says, but the children of Israel committed a trespass and the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the um, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And by verse 10, we see that Ai has been defeated. Joshua then falls on his face and he's pleading before God. God, why? What is happening? I don't understand. You said we were going to have victory. And here's what the Lord says to Joshua in verse 10. And the Lord said unto Joshua, get thee up. Wherefore liest thou on thy face? Israel hath sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them for they have, have even taken of the accursed thing and have also stolen and disassembled also, um, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Why would God blame the entire nation of Israel for one soldier's sin? Because Israel was one people in the Lord. Right? Not just this assorted collection of tribes and clans and then different families and then individuals. Right? God dwelt in the mix of their camp and that made the Jews the Lord's special people. Jehovah God walked about in their camp. Therefore, their camp was to be kept holy. That's why Moses said in Exodus 23, verse 14, he says, For the Lord thy God walketh in the midst of the camp to deliver thee and to give thee thine enemies before thee. Therefore shall thy camp be holy, that he see no unclean thing um, in thee and turn away from thee. Anyone who disobeyed God, right, and then they defiled the camp, and that would affect their relationship with the Lord, and then thus with one another. Listen, God's people today are one body in Christ. Much the same as Israel was one people, Christ or the Lord's people. We are one body in Christ. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 12, 12. He says, for as the body is one and hath many members, all the members of that body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Right? Consequently, we belong to each other, so to speak. We, we need each other. We also affect one another. Any weakness or infection in, in a part of the human body then contributes later to a, a weakness somewhere else or, or an infection somewhere else in other parts. And so it is also with the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 26, Paul went on to say, And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members um, rejoice with it. God's people are one body in Christ today, just as Israel was one people in the Lord. Joshua 7, verse 20, back in our passage. And Achan answered Joshua, and he said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and you, and thus I have done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonianist garment, and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold, uh, 50 shekels of weight. Then I coveted them and I took them and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. Listen, Achan heard the commander give the order that all the gold, all the silver, all the iron, all the treasure of Jericho is to be devoted unto the Lord and his, his treasury. And since Jericho is the first victory in the land of Canaan, right, the first fruits of those, those spoils, so to speak, um, belongs to the Lord. But Achan disobeyed. 
And he began, he disobeyed, and he began to take hazardous steps that ultimately led to sin, which ultimately led to his death. Um, James put it this way in chapter 1, verse 14. He says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away out of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Look back at verse 21, right? Here's exactly what James was talking about. Achan says, when I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonianist garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are hidden in the earth in the midst of the tent and the silver is underneath of it. Achan confessed, when I saw, I coveted, and once I coveted, I took it. Right, Eve did the same thing when she listened to the devil. David did the same thing when he yielded to the flesh, right, in the story of him and Bathsheba. And since Achan also coveted the things of this world, he brought defeat to Israel and death to himself and to his family. Listen, his first mistake was to look at the goods a second time. He probably couldn't help but seeing them the first time. Right, but since Achan, um, um, we'll put it this way. When a man sees a woman, he may glance at a woman and say, she is attractive. That was easy on the eyes. <clears throat> but it's the second glance that gets the imagination working that ultimately leads to sin. Right? But if we keep God's word before our eyes, we won't start looking in the wrong direction and doing the wrong things. Proverbs 4, verse 20, it says, My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Um, let them not depart from thine eyes, keep them in the midst of thy heart. For they are the life unto those that find them, and health unto their flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee, um, put away from thee a froward mouth and perverse lips from uh, far from thee. Verse twenty-five. He says, "Let not thine eyes look, or let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before me." His first mistake was he looked at the treasure a second time. His second mistake. To reclassify those treasures and call them spoils. Look back at verse 21. He says, when I saw the spoils. They were, in fact, not the spoils. You understand? They, they were part of the Lord's treasury. And as such, they had been wholly dedicated to him. They didn't belong to Achan or even Israel. They belonged to God. When God identifies something in a special way, we have no right to change it. Right, in our world today, and even in our religious world, um, many are attempting to rewrite the Lord's dictionary. Isaiah said this. He said, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil and put darkness for light and light for darkness. Uh, uh, they put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. If God says something is wrong, then it's wrong. And that's just the end of the discussion so his first mistake was he looked at the goods a second time. His second mistake was he reclassified them. He reclassified the treasure and called them spoils. His third mistake was to covet. Now, we often have a misunderstanding or a lack of understanding um, when it comes to the word covet. What does it really even mean to covet something? Let's see if we can explain it this way. Our creator designed us to have wants and needs. 
right? So that we might know him and delight in him as our provider and our sustainer. And now we can distinguish between our wants and needs, but both categories lead us to conclude that we are not self-sustained or self-satisfied, right? We require outside provision, and when that provisioning arrives, we then take pleasure in it. Sin corrupts our God-given yearnings and makes us believe that our desires and our needs can somehow be satisfied apart from the Lord, right? And as a result, we run after worldly goods that much like that sleeve of cookies will only satisfy in the moment, but leave us sick and malnourished ultimately. So here it is to covet when we forage for fulfillment apart from the Lord, severing the relationship between provider and provision, we covet. Again, James put it this way in the verse that we've already read, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Instead of singing praises in his heart for the provision, for the way that God had just provided this victory for them, Achan was imagining in his heart what it would be like to own all this treasure. His third mistake was to covet. Warren Wearsby um, said this, imagination is the womb in which desire is conceived and from which sin and death are eventually born. His um, fourth mistake was to think that he could get away with his sin by hiding the loot. Listen, Adam and Eve, they tried to cover their sin and, and run away and hide, but the Lord ultimately discovered them. Did you know, be sure, your sin will find you out, was originally said to the people of God in Numbers 32, not lost people. Right, and so was the Lord shall judge his people in Deuteronomy 32. That was to the Lord's people, not to the lost. How foolish of Achan and us as well to think that God will not see what he was doing. Hebrews 4 verse 13 says, But all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him of whom we have to do. And the idea is that all things are open and naked and visible before the Lord, the one who we're going to have to give an account to one day. How foolish to think that he doesn't see or that we can hide what we do. Achan's sin becomes even worse when you stop to consider all that God's done for him. I mean, God cared for his family in the wilderness, right? He brought him safely across the Jordan. He'd given him victory in Jericho. The Lord accepted him as like a covenant son in the, the covenant that they made at Gilgal. Yet in spite of all these wonderful experiences, Achan disobeyed God to possess some wealth that ultimately he didn't even get to enjoy, Here's the irony of the whole passage, chapter 8, verse 1. It says, and the Lord said unto Joshua, mind you, Achan and his entire family have already died. And the Lord said unto Joshua, fear not, neither be dismayed. Take all the people of war with thee, and arise, go up to Ai, and see that I have given um, into thy hand the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land. And thou shalt do to Ai and her king as thou didst unto Jericho and her king, only the spoil thereof and the cattle thereof shall ye take as prey unto yourselves. Had he just been obedient, had he just waited a day or two, he could have gathered all the spoils, everything that he could have ever wanted from Ai, had he just been obedient. And then every other subsequent battle after that. 
God didn't desire to take something from the Israelites. Rather, he wanted to give something to them. Listen, Achan is not the last person in history to think that God doesn't want him to have any happiness, any fun, or any nice things. If you don't believe that, just come into the youth ministry. Why is God opposing so many rules upon my life? All my other friends get to do whatever they want with their phones. Being a Christian is the worst. He's not the last person in history to think that God didn't want him to have happiness or nice things. It's easy to be suspicious of God, all right, and somehow think that um, we, can, we can look out or we need to look out for ourselves. Culture tells us to load up on all the Babylonian spoils that we can possibly get our hands on, all the garments, right, all the riches that we can get our hands on. But when we take what God has told us not to touch, we prevent him from giving us what he wants us to have. He doesn't desire to keep something from us. Jesus said he came to give us life and that we could have it more abundantly. He said it in John 10, 10. It says, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. He says, but I'm come that they might have life and have it what? Have it life like in Virginia's finest resort, being miserable the whole time with nothing, enslaved to rules? No, he doesn't say that at all. He says that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. He doesn't want us to settle for some hidden, dirty, rushed, stolen happiness. He's got something much, much better in store for you. Achan, however, was short-sighted. He didn't think of the future. He didn't trust God. Instead, he thought he had to look out for himself. And he settled for some hastily grabbed loot that he had to hide in the dirt under his tent and he couldn't even enjoy. Achan had what? Um, pastor and author Levi Lusco calls the Esau syndrome. In his hunger, he traded away the promises of God to fulfill his appetite. And in the end, both he and his family were destroyed by his actions. God does not tolerate compromise with sin in the lives of his people. See, in, in just a moment, we're going to... Um, we're going to enter into a time of invitation. Right? And really, in this time, I'm not going to stretch it out. We're not going to prolong it. I understand you're going to get out a little bit early. Praise God. We're not going to stretch this thing out. But I want to challenge you with this. Block out in your mind for one minute. One minute only. It's not a lie. Anybody can do anything for 60 seconds. For one minute, block out anything in your mind that might be preventing you um, from really hearing what the Lord has to say. Anything that might be a distraction, anything that happened this morning in your life, anything that you're thinking about, your lunch, whatever it may be, block it out for one minute, 60 whole seconds, and spend time reflecting on this word from God. Spend time just really reflecting. Would you have courage in this moment to just reflect on yourself? Because the issue is that God does not um, compromise with sin in the lives of his people. But when we confess and bring that sin to light, the Bible tells us he is faithful and just to forgive. If you've yet to place your faith in Jesus and you're here this morning, can I just ask you a question real quick? What's stopping you from trusting in him? Why not place your faith in him today? What are you waiting for? And I don't say that in some flippant sense, but listen, you literally have nothing to lose. But eternity to gain. 
What is it you're waiting for? God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He proved it, right? Romans, um, Romans 5, 8 says, but God commended his love towards us or he proved it in that while we were sinners, Christ died um, for us. Listen, Jesus isn't a way to heaven. He is the only way to heaven. He said in John, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man's gonna come to the Father but through or by me. There's no hope for us outside of Jesus Christ. You understand? Even the good things that we try to do that we think somehow will earn us favor before the Lord's eyes, Isaiah tells us, are but filthy rags. Um, Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 22. He said, there's gonna be a lot of people that come unto me in that day and they're gonna say, Lord, haven't we done these things? I mean, I was a good guy. I did these things. I even did some of them in your name. But Jesus says, I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Right? Listen, the Bible tells us in the book of Romans, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's me, that's you, every one of us. We, we, we don't have any righteousness in and of ourselves. That's to say we are not right with God in and of ourselves. If you've not been born again, all right, listen, the wages of sin is death. But if you've heard nothing else that I've said this morning, please hear the end of this verse. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. All right, if you haven't been born again, I pray that the only question in your mind is what must I do to be saved? Because if you haven't placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, you stand underneath the judgment of God. If you were to die, you will face the wrath of God. If you've not been saved, you are not saved from that wrath. I pray the only thing is on your mind, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas, they told um, the prison keeper, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting um, life. How? How? Paul went on to say, call upon the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. Don't worry about the right words to say. If you call upon God with a sincere and repentant heart, he will be faithful and just to forgive. I'm gonna pray, and in just a moment, we'll open up a, a moment of invitation. If you, if you have no clue where to start, with all heads bowed and all Christians praying, listen, if, if you say, Travis, I've not been saved, I wanna call out upon the Lord, but I don't know how, I've never prayed, but not a single time in my life. Could you just help me? Could, could you just help me? You could pray a short prayer, just like this. You could say, um, dear God, God, I, I, I don't know it all, God. I don't understand it all. But God, the, the, I know that I'm a sinner. And God, I, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And the, the best way that I know how, I ask you to come in and just be Lord and Savior of my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. But real quick, I'm gonna pray. We're gonna stand. We'll open our invitation. One minute, I challenge you. Just be real with yourself. Block out any distraction you had and reflect on this word for one minute. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to come and to meet here in your house. I pray that over this next moment, your word will fall upon the good soil of our hearts.
God, that we would have the courage to not only self-evaluate, but to begin to make the changes necessary in our lives. God, I pray that you would work and you would move over this next moment of invitation. And I pray this in Jesus' name.